0: I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53 and Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 54, we'll be looking at about the first six verses in 53 because it sets up chapter 54. And I want to be looking at that, the the thought that came to my mind as uh, I believe God led me to this passage of Scripture It's great things, great things. Uh, There's some great things that are happening. God's doing some great things. And and certainly, Wednesday night, as uh, we go down to the uh, new property, I've not been down that way, and so I haven't seen the uh, steel being erected. But I look forward to being here on, uh, well, not here, but there, on Wednesday night, and uh, celebrating and worshiping the Lord there. Uh, God is doing some great things, but there 's some greater things that he 's doing and it 's not just about steel it 's not just about a building going up it 's about lives it 's about lives and and what a what a great way to communicate that through cardboard testimonies. you know a lot of us are, are just a little bit shy and embarrassed and don 't know how to articulate exactly what God's done in our life, but these folks that stood up here and in the picture, they, they had the cardboard testimony and they, they communicated in just a word or two the difference that, that God has made in their life over the past year, over the past year. And what a great testimony that God is doing some great things. Taking a person's life who stands here and says, my life a year ago could be characterized by pride. And then she flips the card and says, this is what God's done in my life. Now he's filled me with compassion. Or a person that stands there, a whole family that stands there and says, we were inactive and now we're engaged. And, and a couple of teenagers stand there and they say, we were lost, <laughs> but now we're found. That, that's, that's great things. That's great things that God is doing. If you noticed, I was one of those guys That held it up there. And and one year ago, my wife and I moved to this big city of Manita, Virginia. All right? And uh, so we moved here and uh, we sold our our house in in Roanoke and we moved to Manita, And uh, we didn't know where we were going to go to church. And I walked in East Lake just like many of you perhaps. Some of you walked in today. I didn't know a single person that was here everybody was a new face and uh, be honest with you i i didn't know what to expect i really didn't know what to expect i certainly didn't expect to be standing here one year later (laughs) and 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 preaching and having the opportunities that i've had uh, uh, a few months ago to speak and then also on some wednesday nights but uh to me that, that that's a great thing that God's doing. Uh, just in even my, my own personal life, I, I need to take a minute to just kind of share with you. And a lot of times I step out from behind this because I really don't want there to be anything between you and me. Uh, and I guess in a visual way, that's, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm doing. Between the two services, we, we get together and we have prayer. And between the uh, eight o'clock and the nine thirty, I was in the room, and and Ernie and Betty Hoffmeister came in to to pray for me. And before we engaged in prayer, Betty Betty said, "Daryl, do you miss preaching?" And all kinds of things (laughs) went through my mind. You know, I don't. I don't miss the the weekly pressure. Okay, Sunday's coming. And it doesn't make any difference how many people were in the hospital and how many people had crises. Sunday's still coming and a message has got to be there, okay? So there's certain parts of it that I don't miss, but there's another part that I really do miss. I, re- I miss the weekly preparation. Because, and I, and I sense this in, in Troy. We've never discussed it, but I, I know Troy, he wrestles with God over, his, over the messages that he brings with us. I, I know it comes from his heart it's not just something that that he's copied from somebody else it it's something that's come within, and he shares it with us and and there's because when when you when you wrestle with God trying to get down to the heart and core of his word you you're dealing with the presence of God in your life and and man that that's a good thing that's a good thing and it, and there's another part of preaching that I miss and and I know that you hardly know me and I hardly know certainly overwhelming majority of you folks. But, you know, life is so, much, so filled with superficial. You know, we engage in conversation, how you doing, you know, how the football team's doing, or, you know, all kinds of different superficial stuff. And I'm probably the master of superficiality, you know. But to me, this is a holy moment. To, to me, this is an opportunity to engage you where I can get past the superficial stuff in life and just get down to the real nitty-gritty and, and what life is really all about. And, and I trust and I hope that you can begin to develop a, something in, in this few minutes that we have, a certain trust in me, that we get beyond and below the surface and, and really encounter God through His Word. And... Yes, I, I, I want to throw that thought that, that you see on the screen out into your mind. And, and I pray that it's not just my thought that I give to you. But I, but I pray that you begin to think of some, some great things. Some great things. The, the, the scripture that this kind of came out of is, is Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 54. And I'll not read the whole chapter of 53 and I'll not read the whole chapter of 54. But they, but they certainly go together. Because the great thing that we see in chapter 53 is the basis for which we can expect great things in chapter 54. And so I'd like for you to look with me in chapter 53 and we're going to look at about the first six verses. And, and this is a prophecy. This, this is a prophecy about the redeeming work of Jesus when he came to this earth in the incarnation, 700 years before he actually came. And, 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 and the Holy Spirit is, is opening the mind and the heart of Isaiah to help us understand that this was no accident. That as, 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 as Ben read the scripture from First Corinthians chapter 15, Christ died according to what? The scriptures, the scriptures, it was prophesied many years. So, so this Jesus is not just any man, but he's sent from God to fulfill all of those prophecies. And, and, and so it's on this basis right here that I hope I can begin to open you up and, and your mind and your thoughts to, to begin to see the great things that God has in store for you and, and, and me and this church. That's not based on our egos. That's not based on our personalities. It's not based on, on, on our abilities. But it's based on Him. So let's look at Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And here we go with the incarnation. This is the life of Jesus. He grew up before Him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of the parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty. He didn't come as a, as, as a king all wrapped up in a robe. He was born in a manger, and he grew up in Nazareth. And, and, and that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. And yes, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Look at this. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And so he is pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourging, we are healed. And then here's the reality that all of us can identify with. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. That is a great thing. Just to imagine for a moment... I don't know if you've already done this or if you'll do it today. But when we bow our knee, we bow our heart, we bow our will and surrender to Jesus, and we say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Here's what happens in this transaction. All of your sin goes to who? It goes to Him. His iniquity, our iniquities, He bore upon Himself. But it doesn't stop there. All of His righteousness comes to us. All of His righteousness comes to us. And and so, that's a great thing. (laughs) That's a great thing. As a matter of fact, that's the basis upon which the prophet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, can say to us in chapter 54, verse 1 shout with joy! Shout with joy! You know, uh, you guys are good at doing that. Uh, I, I don't know if I could take any more. <laughs> you know, it's just been like this building crescendo of, 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 of the Spirit and, and, and the joy and the celebration of what God. And it, you can tell that God's done great things in your life. And, and just through great worship. And so that's the basis. And so he says to us, and I want you to look at this. In chapter 54, verse 1, here's what he says. That's the basis upon which we can shout for joy, O barren one. We'll come back to that in a minute. You have been you who have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud. You who have not travailed, for the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Search or stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Spare not. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your pegs, for you will spread abroad. To the right and to the left. And your descendants will possess nations. And they will resettle the desolate cities. Look at verse 4. Fear not. For you will not be put to shame. Neither few feel humiliated. For you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth. And the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. For your husband is your maker. Whose name is the Lord of hosts. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of Israel. While the title of my message is Great Things, I borrowed a statement by a man who lived in the 1700s. His name is William Carey. William Carey grew up in just a a, a poor country country out in the woods kind of home in england he he was he, he was a uh, an apprentice in a cobbler shop just making and repairing shoes he didn't make a whole lot of money but he wasn't even educated formally he was smart but he was saved and who was saved he had a passion for the lost and what god did with him was he gave him a desire to know God's Word. And I don't guess there's too many of you here the minute you were saved. What you wanted was a Greek grammar book. That's what he wanted. He wanted to study the Greek language that the New Testament was written in. And he mastered the Greek language. And then he wanted to study Hebrew because that's what the Old Testament's written in. And so he discovered in all of that 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 he had a gift for languages. And then he began to have a vision that there were people in other continents, other countries that spoke other languages that did not have the Bible written into their language. And he began to have a specific burden for the people of India. And so he took his family and he moved to India. And he began to translate uh, the Bible into Bengali. And uh, the other five major uh, languages in India for seven years, from uh, 1793 to 1800, he did not experience a single convert in his ministry in India. It was in December of 1800 that he had the first convert that he baptized. Some years later, God began to bless his ministry, and yes, he started a school, and today there's 2,500 or probably more based on the article that I read probably even more than that, 2,500 people that go to this seminary, this Bible college, to be trained in ministry. He came up with a phrase when he started a missionary society. I don't know if it was the title of his sermon or if it was just a phrase that he used, but here's what it was. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. As I read this passage of Isaiah 54, verse 1 says to me this, Expect great things from God. What's the basis of that? Here's what he says. Verse 1 of 54 says, Shout for joy, O barren one. Now for the barren one to shout for joy, they've got to have a hope in something that's going to take place. Okay? And and, and what's the... what, what there is to take place is what you can expect from God. It mentions the, the barren one, it mentions the desolate one. And both of them can shout for joy. The barren one, no doubt, is making reference to the people of Israel. Even when Jesus came on the scene, when Jesus was in his incarnation, and, 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 and Jesus was with his disciples, and as Pastor Troy mentioned just a few weeks ago, uh, right after his triumphal entry, Jesus looked at a, at, a, at, a, at a fig tree and it bore no fruit and he cursed the fig tree because it was barren. It was barren. And, and, and the, the characterization of, of Israel, God's chosen people, that he, that he chose to be a blessing to the nations. They had become barren. And the reason they had become barren because they were a people with a hard heart. They'd become stubborn. They'd become obstinate. They wanted to do things their way. And he didn't love <clears throat> the people that didn't know about him. And then it mentions that shout for joy not only the barren one, but shout for joy the desolate one. The desolate one. The desolate a, a person who's in a, in a in a state of desolate, a desolate state is a person who's empty. A, a, a person who is depressingly empty. And who could that be making reference to in my mind and what I can see is nothing less than than the Gentiles. While the Jews had the light and they rejected the light and Jesus came into His own but His own received Him not. the Gentiles were just walking around in darkness. They were living futile lives. They didn't have the light of the gospel. They didn't know. And yet God is saying to us, He said, there's hope for the barren one and there's hope for the desolate one. And even to the extent that they can begin to shout with joy because God's going to do something and you can expect great things from God. We open into the pages of the book of Acts and what do we find? In the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost after Jesus ascends into heaven and he tells his disciples to go and spend 10 days in prayer. He's going to send his Holy Spirit. And who is it? Who is it that God takes the barren womb and He begins to pour out His Spirit and it comes alive and 3,000 people are birthed. (laughs) Birthed out of of the Jews. They're in Jerusalem. O barren one, shout for joy because you're going to have many. And then we read throughout the book of Acts and we find out that God not only did His great things among, among the Jews, but we see that God did great things among the gentiles you're gonna you're gonna be my witnesses in jerusalem and judea and even the samaritans and even to the uttermost parts of the earth and god's gonna just do great things his things the things that only god can do through them what's the basis of all that what's the basis of these great things and we look at, at just four of them I just mentioned to you and kind of mention them quickly and not spend too much time on them. But the four things that, that we see that he's done in, in, in the work of Christ and that is mentioned in, in, in Isaiah 53 is what's the basis that we can expect great things from God? It's not who we are, but it's God, what God has done for us. He has forgiven us our sins. What does that mean? In practical application, what does that mean when it comes to us in thinking in terms of expecting great things from God? We, we look at us, and I look at myself, and, and I think, God, I'm, I'm nobody great. I'm nobody. I've done, I've done stuff that I'm not proud of. I've, I, I'm, I'm still a sinner, and I was a sinner. And, 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 but, but what's the basis that, that Daryl and what's the basis that you can sit there and begin to say, God, I want you to do great things for me. I've got baggage that I've carried. I've got things that I've done wrong. How could you possibly use me? Here's what it is. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. He's forgiven you. God is not in the, in the business of paybacks. No matter what you've done in the past. No matter what it is that, that has been in your life. He blots it out. It's gone. It, 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 just as if it's never been there before. And, and that's the basis that you can sit there and say, God, could you possibly do great things through me? It's not because of what good a person you have been, or, but it's based on His forgiveness. But it doesn't stop with the forgiveness of the sin. It doesn't just stop by blotting out. He fills you with His Spirit. He talks about, he spoke, talks about giving you a new spirit and a new heart. Jesus, Jesus sat around the, the table with His disciples on this last night with them and and, and they had the meal together and they had the bread and they had the cup. And he said to them, he said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant. The new covenant. What's so special about the new covenant? The old covenant was written on tablets of stone. The new covenant is written on your heart. And the new covenant does, does nothing less than put the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ in our lives. In our lives. And so we begin to realize that these great things that God wants to do in people's lives for his glory is not based on how good a person or the achievements or the accomplishments that we've done in the past but it's based on his forgiveness it's based on his spirit that we, he gives you a brand new heart and all of a sudden you have a you have a love affair with Jesus you know it's fun to be in a love affair I've been in a love affair with with Susan for forty four years, and 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 that, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And just to think that you can have a love affair with with Christ, and and and, and the things that you do is not because you feel obligated to do it. It's not because you have to do it or somebody twisted your arm to do it. I'm not here before you today because I felt like I had to preach. Man, it's a joy. It it. Because you do it out of love, so he gives you a new heart where you have this love affair. He he changes your wanna doer. All of a sudden, you find yourself wanting to do these things because of the love relationship. So these these great things that we can expect from God are not based on who we are or what we've done or all this kind of stuff, but it's based on he's forgiven us. He's given us his spirit. He's given us a new heart, and he's given us his power and his strength that we read about in Ephesians three. Let me move on quickly. Expect great things from God. Whew. Here we go. Attempt great things for God. Attempt great things for God. Now, let's look at verse 2. You, you see, you see the barren woman's going to start having babies, okay? We're going to have new births in the kingdom. And so what are we going to do about it? Well, we're going to enlarge the place of your tent. We're going to stretch out the curtains of your dwellings and spare not. Lengthen the cords and strengthen the pegs for you're going to spread abroad to the right and to the left and your descendants will possess the nations. Wow. Attempt great things for God will require what? That we enlarge the tent of our place. Why, why is Eastlake building down the road? It's because God's bringing people under this tent, and you know, isn't that exciting? I mean, I I love to see it. Now, all of you, well, ninety-nine percent of you folks are new faces to me, anyway. So I don't know if it's your first time here or you've been coming here for for a long time. But I'm just going to work on the assumption that a lot of you are new, okay? And 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 it's exciting to see the new people that are coming here, and 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 in order for, for the growth to continue, we've got, he's saying, it, it, it enlarge the tent because more people are here. Spread out. Spread out. And, and that's exactly what this church has. And I, and I, it was already in place when I came and I thank God and I applaud the vision and the planning and, and all the way this multiply has, has, has taken place and is coming into fruition. But, uh, we got to enlarge the place of the tent. Let me, let me share something with you quickly. Uh, back in 1975, Susan and I got, got a word that uh, we shouted about. And not only did we shout about, but my parents shouted about and Susan's parents shouted about. We got the word that Susan was expecting. Expect great things from God, okay? Expect great things from God. That's the work of God's miracle. It's a new birth, okay? The miracle of birth. Well, we, didn't, we hardly got finished the shouting. She's not in this service, so I can kind of share with you about Susan. Susan is a perfectionist, okay? How many of you guys live with perfectionists? Well, the, baby, the baby's coming on, and, and, and here's a, Susan says to me, says to Daryl, uh, we got to fix a room up for the baby. Fix a room up for the baby? The baby's not going to care. <laughs> we got to fix the room up for the baby. We lived in a pastorum and it was old and the floors were bad. And I was down on my hands and knees with a hand sander. I mean, getting it down to the, just refinishing the floors. And we had to paint the walls and put carpet. I mean, just, well, not carpet, hardwood. But anyway, we had to fix that thing up. So it basic were, yeah, great things from God. Now it's time to go to work. It's time to enlarge the tent. we got to have another room. Not only do we, do we have to do that, but the next thing he says is, <clears throat> you got to make room for this. He says, stretch out the curtains of your dwellings, and here, here's the tough one. Spare not. Okay, that was 1975. Steve was born in 1976. Six months later, guess what? News again. Now, I shouted for joy, but guess what? Susan didn't. I think she cried because she was a worn-out young mother. Didn't have a night's sleep in six months, okay? But needless to say, the other one was coming. So we had a boy, had another one on the way. Now, I, I, my, my first church was down in, in Louisiana, Zachary, Louisiana. And uh, you're not a man, in Louisiana, if you don't have a bass boat and a pickup truck, okay? So I had to convince Susan that she had to be married to a real man, okay? Now, I guess she was content to be married to a half a man, because I got the bass boat, all right? I never got the pickup truck, okay? But uh, we, we got the bass boat, and I loved fishing in the bayous and everything, and then I, that's when I was a youth pastor in Louisiana. And then we moved to Georgia. And that's when I was a pastor. And we got there. And that's when Steve was born. And that's when we got the news about, about, uh, about Kathy coming along. And uh, after, after we shouted for joy, after I shouted for joy and Susan cried, uh, you know what I did? It was time for Daryl Krim to spare not. I didn't have the money, for one thing, to bring another child into the world. Plus, I knew I wasn't going to have time to fish with two babies. All right? So, guess what I did, guys? Guess what I did? I put a for sale sign on my bass boat. That hurt. That is the ultimate sacrifice, okay? Here's what I'm trying to tell you. As the family grows, as the family grows, we got to spare not. I don't know what it's going to cost you. I don't know all that it's going to cost me. But well, we've got to enter into this thing with this attitude, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. We need to go into this with an attitude of sparing not. Yes, we need a plan to, to, to uh, stretch out the curtains and expand the tents. But then it also says you've got to lengthen the cords. Lengthen the cords. What are the cords that we need to lengthen? You're the cords. The leadership base. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And we get over there, and we build this great big facility, and we got all these people going, and you got... I'll, I'll tell you the truth of life. The more people you have, the more ministry needs you have. And I'm here to tell you that Troy, and Ben, and Aaron, and Nathan, and Bob, and Denise, and the staff... They can't handle it all. And it's, it's necessary. The call for us is not just to expect great things from God, but what? To attempt great things for God. And I don't know how that translates into your life and my life, but it might be an attempt, a great thing for God is to get into the nursery and to help out there. Or to get into the children's ministry and help out there. Or go to the kitchen and help out on Wednesday nights I don't know all the needs of the church, thank God. <laughs> okay? I used to know. And, and, and it's a bit overwhelming for the pastor to know all the needs. But I know that there are needs. And, and I know that typically 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Is, it's going to be like an inverted pyramid. And this thing is going to topple over if we don't stretch out the cords. And, and, and we, we step out. And attempt great things for God. And I don't know where that beginning of that attempt is for you. But that's where God's leading us. He says, attempt great things for God. Enlarge the place. Spare not. Lengthen the cords. And strengthen the pegs. If we're not careful, that tent the bigger it gets, the easier it is for the wind to get under it and blow it away. And we got to have pegs that are down deep into the soil. What are the pegs of a church? What are the pegs? It's it's the basics. The ministry of the word and the prayer. The ministry of the word and the prayer. That's what the disciples said. That's what the apostles said in Acts chapter 6. The church was growing. The ministry needs were growing. And they said, guys, we can't neglect the ministry of the word and prayer. We need help. We need help. I would have never become a part of Eastlake Community Church if I sensed that we didn't have pegs already in the soil, nailed down and secure in the truths of the Bible. And as I see the emphasis on the importance of us praying together and the prayer room during every one of our services at eight, eight o 'clock at nine thirty 30, at eleven o 'clock then we join together in prayer, and we need to, we need to take those steps of faith and trust and, and engage in that and so fear not let me let me just close out with with this one fear not here 's what he says: Fear not for you will not be put to shame, neither feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your Redeemer is the one of Israel who is called the God of all the earth. For some of you, there are fears that begin to surface. Fears that cause you to suppress even the thought of attempting great things for the Lord. Anything for the Lord, much less great things for the Lord. Why? What are we afraid of? We're afraid of failure. He says, Don't worry about shame. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame, neither feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. It's not done in your power. It's done in the power of the Lord. For some, it's the fear of, of, of taking the first step. Imagine Matthew sitting at his at his tax collecting table, and, and that's the business that he's in. And Jesus says, Follow me. Imagine the fears. What is this going to lead to? What is it going to involve? Where am I going? But he puts all those fears behind. And in faith, he follows Jesus. And, 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 and Peter and, and, and Andrew, they've been in a fishing business that's been handed down to them through, their, through the generations. And, and Jesus comes to them and says, follow me. And he calls them to take a first step of faith to follow him. There are those of us that have fear of just stepping out and taking that faith step and, and following him wherever that pathway may lead. And so, for some, it's the fear of service. It's not who you are, it's who God is. That's why God says, for your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. Where will you be one year from now? Where will you be one year from now? We had several people in in the video, show what God was doing in their life. One lady said, I'm, I, I was inactive and, and I was uninvolved, but now I'm in the children's ministry. I'm a, I like what she said, a children's worker. <laughs> That's work. That's work, okay? But it's a good work. It's a good work. It's a necessary work. And, and, and so, where will you be a year from now? Can you write out a cardboard testimony say, I once was this pew sitter, but now I'm engaged and I've helped to expand that cord of leadership base at Eastlake Church, how important that is. Where will not only you be a year from now, but where will Eastlake Community Church be a year from now? Let's bow and pray together. For more information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at EastlakeSML thanks for joining us